Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. In this podcast, we will be having a discussion about Akron Public Schools. We'll be joined by Superintendent David James, who is retiring after 13 years at the helm and 30 years with the district. James will discuss the challenges of teaching remotely amid the pandemic and the effort to get students back into the classroom. We'll also look back on his long career. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. The Cleveland Clinic is hoping a study of its own employees who have been vaccinated against COVID-19 and the small number who subsequently have been infected with the virus shows the importance of getting the vaccine. The clinic looked at COVID-19 infections among its employees in Ohio in the last four months since many began receiving the vaccine around late December. The study found that 99.7% of the infections occurred among those who were unvaccinated. The remaining infections occurred among those who were fully vaccinated two weeks after the second dose. The study also looked at data from its patients who have been hospitalized this year and found that of the nearly 4,300 COVID-19 emissions in Ohio, between January 1st and April 13th, more than 99.75% were in patients that were not fully vaccinated. They say the data shows that the risk of getting infected or hospitalized after receiving the vaccine is incredibly low. Want to win a million dollars? Well, just go out and get the vaccine. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine has announced that there will be a statewide lottery with $5 million prizes given out to five vaccinated residents. Teens, don't worry. There will be a separate drawing for you for five full-ride scholarships on the line to Ohio's public colleges. The only catch to claim the prize is you have to be vaccinated. There's a new resident in downtown Akron. The city has unveiled its larger-than-life statue of a rubber worker that pays homage to the city's industrial past. The 15-foot-tall statue by a Zanesville artist stands in the middle of the new roundabout at Main and Mill Streets. Want to know more about these stories? BeaconJournal.com and our apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content that you can't find anywhere else. And now it's time for our spotlight topic. We're joined in this segment by outgoing Akron School Superintendent David James. And I'm not just talking about his outgoing personality, which is great. But David is retiring after 13 years at the helm and some 30 years in the district. Also joining us and helping to keep me on track is Beacon Journal education reporter Jennifer Pignolet. And I might add, Jennifer was recently named the best news reporter in Ohio by the Associated Press Media Editors for her coverage of education, I finished third. So in a different category, but you know, I, I'm not really as good as Jennifer. So welcome everyone. Thank you. Thanks, Craig. And it was a long year of a lot of good work from everybody. You're too kind, but uh, so let's start with the end first, which is kind of weird as you know, news people we kind of start at the beginning, right? But I, I think it's just interesting that, that I can't help it, but think that, that you're kind of like a senior in high school, you know, last test, last, you know, lunch, last, I mean, are how do, you, how do you feel about all these last? Is it kind of bittersweet? Uh, yeah, it's it's bittersweet. I mean, a lot of things have been really enjoyable, but this has been a really difficult senior year, literally, <laughs> for our seniors. 
who were kindergartners when I started as superintendent in 2008, and now they're graduating. So um, I think it's a good time, you know, for me and for the district. There's a lot of things we've accomplished, and there's a lot of things that have yet to be accomplished. So a little bit about this year. I mean, it, it clearly was, you know, and last year starting in probably, I forget what, what the date that you folks ended up kind of sending everyone home. Was it February? Was it March? Right. It was right uh, around March 17th, I believe, uh, last year where our world changed really, you know, forever. I mean, going to online uh, instruction because of COVID and then you know, from that point on, really working to try and get our kids back in school and make sure everything, you know, was safe and following protocols and and all of that. So it has been a very difficult school year, not just for the kids, but, you know, for the staff and the administrators as well as we try to, you know, work uh, under the guidelines for COVID and just respond to a lot of the, not just the health upheavals, but the political upheavals as well, you know, anti-mask and anti-vaccine, things like that. So it's it, it, it has been a difficult school year. I can attest to that. I was a superintendent myself and also a principal and a teacher having kids here as we were working at home from the Beacon. And I would walk in the kitchen and wonder why my uh, high school son was sleeping on the couch when it feels like he should be in class, when he assures me that class was going on. I mean, I, I guess I'm just curious, you know, as an educator and just a superintendent, I mean, did you just have this, I don't want to say sense of panic, but just this thought that, you know, all these kids, you, you, you have no idea. Are they in class? Are they not in class? I mean, that, that safety net just was really, I mean, you're relying on parents and grandparents and, and other siblings to keep kids on task and the, the teachers, but, you know, it's kind of hard remotely. Right. And, and but the one thing is, you know, in, in the era where we have a lot of analytics with the technology, you know, we were able to determine, you know, at least who was logged on and then with the teachers who was actually engaged and put into place people who could follow up with those students who weren't as engaged as they should be, um, you know, so they could continue their learning. But you're absolutely right. There are a lot of those types of stories you know, came into the forefront of people who, you know, the camera, you know, it's like we used to say the lights are on, but nobody's on. Well, the screen was on, but there was no student there. You know, they may have been sleeping on the couch, things like that. But there were ways through the technology that we could determine whether they were interacting with their teacher and with the class. What did this last year teach you about, you know, where the gaps are? you know, in our community here where the education disparities are, you know, what your kids go through every day? Well, the one thing is, you know, probably five years prior, we had already started the, you know, the Chromebook initiative where all of our students have a Chromebook. So we were ahead there. But what we found is for some of our students, they didn't have reliable Internet access. So we, again, purchased hotspots and distributed those, you know, through our engagement center. Um, to get those in the hands of, of our students. I think it's just many of these, you know, depending on where kids are socioeconomically, whether, uh, you know, parents had to continue going to work and could, you know, uh, find someone. There were a lot of issues about having someone at home with the kids or having a place where kids could go where they could, you know, have someone keep an eye on them while they were engaged in the online instruction. Um, th there were a lot of complaints and issues 
uh, regarding that. I think we take for granted, you know, sometimes the struggles that working parents have to go through. And I think a lot of that was was laid bare, you know, during the pandemic. Sure. So it's funny. I remember so well the day that everything shut down because I was actually in Nashville with half of your school board and about yes. 70 of your teachers. Um, we were attending a conference in Nashville about college and career academies. They kindly let me tag along. And I'll never forget Ellen McWilliams was the assistant superintendent coming into the room and telling about 70 Akron teachers. I need to tell you guys about what's happening at home. Mm-hmm. And um, it was that was the day that University of Akron shut down. So that meant that early college high shut down and it was yes. just a domino effect after that. And I remember her leaving the conference, too. She and a few others, I think, drove back that night. There was another day of it. And uh, they needed they, they knew that they needed to start putting a plan together. Um, you know, when you look back at all of that, you know, do you, is it a you know, are the things you would do differently? Are you um, amazed at how well it, it did come together? Are there are the things that you would you know, know now to implement immediately? I think what really surprised me is how quickly our teachers stepped up to the plate to make that transformation from in-person learning, you know, to the online learning. And, you know, when we did that flip initially, the online piece was very different than what we have today. I mean, they were not really, you know, synchronous, where the kids were actually interacting more with the teacher directly. It was more asynchronous, where there were just assignments posted, you complete the assignments. But then, you know, we migrated or evolved into, you know, a situation where with the online courses, there were more interaction with the kids, actual teacher and teachers in most cases. Um, so they were familiar with the instructor. But, you know, the thing about it is in my early career here in Akron, you know, I was in charge of environmental health and safety. So Every time there was some kind of catastrophe, a building caught fire, a gas leak, a mercury spill, asbestos exposure, Ebola, um, bed bugs, any kind of emergency I had to deal with. So, you know, my approach to those things are always to remain calm and then we just work through, you know, work through the problem. And, you know, maybe that helped, you know, just in terms of my framework and in, in trying to respond to this. But there were so many unknowns with this, you know, from one day to the next, you know, we were all waiting for, you know, we knew that there was some vaccine work happening, but that took months, you know, to actually get rolled out at the state level. Things kept changing. And of course you remember the controversy about the plan to reopen and we needed more time. And, you know, I get chastised, but that's just part, you know, that's just part of the work. I mean, it's hard, you know, the state of Ohio was so diverse in terms of school districts that one size doesn't fit all. And, you know, it's just a thing where you're, you're kind of in the, you know, it's like when my wife rearranges the furniture and I get up in the middle of the night with no lights to get a drink of water and I'm tripping over an ottoman that wasn't there or something like, it was kind of like that experience. But, you know, with our staff, they were real troopers and all this and everyone worked together and we got through it. Do you see this as maybe a that we'll look back and say this is when everything changed? You know that that this really caused maybe what's going to happen ten, twenty years out. 
in terms of remote learning that, that really will look back and say, well, <laughs> that's the day the world changed. I mean, kind of like September 11th with airport security. You know, it never was right. the same after right. that. We've had online learning for quite a while. I mean, there have been charter models that have been online. You know, we have our own APS online that has been in existence for quite some time. I think the change is going to really be with parents and figuring out that this might be a better option for their, you know, for their kids. And so there are some things that we're looking at in terms of where will this online approach go and how will it evolve in the future? Is it going to be a classroom that has some kids who are present and some kids who are piping in remotely? You know, it could be a student who's in the hospital getting some kind of medical treatment who can't be there but could pipe in, you know, with a device. Or it could be a kid who, you know, maybe temporarily handicapped or what have you. So I think we're looking at some of those. And um, it is a 9-11 moment as far as I'm concerned because I think it'll change the way we really look at how we're engaging our students and their families. So you returned a handful of students to schools in early March despite the governor's uh, desire that that happen in a larger force sooner. But a majority did come back by the end of the month, five days a week. Can you talk about where you are now? I know you had more students um, at the deadline where they were allowed to switch um, again before the end of the year, agree to come back. Where What's your balance now between students who are fully in person and those who are still learning online? Right. So, I mean, when we started that, I think about 30 percent of our students chose to remain online. And we've seen some shrinkage in that as we had that one. I believe that deadline may have been April 5th to make a decision. We still have a decent number of kids who are still remote. But um, I believe the latest survey indicated that the majority of like if we go back to about 30 percent of our kids wanted to remain remote. Um, of that number from our latest survey, about 70% of them want to return in person in the fall. And so, you know, we are chipping away at the number, you know, who have chosen to stay remote. And there are a variety of factors. Some people are still fearful, you know, of the virus, even though our numbers, you know, statewide are starting to go down as more people get vaccinated. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see what that looks like in the fall as hopefully more people will want to come back and we'll have more people in person versus, uh, you know, through the remote. Where do you see vaccinations in the schools? I mean, I, I see some colleges are mandating the students be vaccinated before they return the fall. I mean, do you see that something on the public school level and, and even among your own employees? Right. No, um, the majority of our, the large share of our employees have uh, received their vaccinations. I mean, we did, you know, again, that's where the controversy came from, signing the one agreements for staff to get vaccinated. So we had those clinics in our administration building and they were full. In terms of students, I don't think, you know, unless the uh, State Department of Health mandates it, we're not going to mandate it, but we are going to you know, highly encourage that. And we've worked with Summit County Public Health, you know, whenever they've reached out to us to offer vaccines. And now it looks like we're going to be able to offer the Pfizer vaccine to a younger cohort of students, I believe, starting at age 12. Um, we'll work with the county health department, you know, to make sure that we're communicating with our parents, you know, when that becomes wide, more widely available uh, for them. I think it's a good idea. 
But again, we still have some people who are reluctant, you know, to get the vaccine. And that's going to be, you know, um, an ongoing education process. So let's talk about what you know so far about where kids are academically and socially after this last year, the amount that you've been able to tell since they have returned, the ones who have returned. Um, I was at higher CLC the first day of school this year and their principal, Principal Bender, talked so much about, you know, his concern about where kids were, you know, socially, that they were having a hard time sort of adjusting back. And I've talked to him since then. And, you know, it's it's still a concern. So what are you hearing from principals? What do you think is the the gap here of where kids would normally be on maybe a social scale first and then academically? Sure. So, you know, just in terms of that social interaction, we know it's been difficult for our students uh, this school year up until the return. And, you know, even though we're getting slowly back to normal, you know, the whole focus of our summer program isn't just academic, but it's also that social emotional piece, which we feel is so important. So our plan for the summer is to offer some of those um, activities for kids for the second half of the day you know, for those parents who want their kids to participate, to be able to get some of those uh, social emotional pieces addressed through the different partners, you know, that we're looking to bring on board to help with that, you know, like a Boys and Girls Club, the YMCA, et cetera. So there can be in city rec, so there can be some recreational and some more interactive components, you know, to that. We also reported early on, you know, during the pandemic in terms of some of the learning loss. I mean, I think you were at the one board meeting where we did the report showing, you know, the number of students who had earned A's, B's, and C's, and we saw those lower earned grades increasing versus the higher. And so summer will also be a a period of this, like, academic recovery where we'll work with students and their families to also provide some of those academic pieces so we make sure that kids are continuing to address whatever learning loss they've experienced so that they're better prepared for the fall. And I'm not saying that it'll only be a summer issue. You know, once we get through our summer program, we'll also have to do a continuing piece of really addressing both the academic and social-emotional needs of our students. And I think that's the one thing that has uh, come out of the pandemic you know, we were made aware of, I think, many more of those types of non-academic needs of our kids. And I think we're going to have to address those, you know, moving forward. And not necessarily that Akron Public Schools will be providing all those services, but I think a series of partnerships and collaborations with other organizations can help meet the need. Yeah, you know, you heard a lot this year, kids are resilient. um, And certainly, Many kids are, and certainly there is a inherent maybe resilience to being a kid. But what do you see as you know the damage that this year has done, and do you see this as permanent? Are we ever going to be able to recover? You know this this lost year, you know, in terms of academics, but also just you know on the social toll that this has taken. You know, every generation has its crises. I mean, you know, we think about. You know, in the 60s, we had, you know, the President Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King Jr., Robert Kennedy, et cetera, um, or the Kent State University. You know, we just remember that anniversary. So every generation, I think, has, you know, these traumatic events and 
you know, they'll stick with these kids. This one will stick with them, I think, for the rest of their lives. You know, a lot of people talked about aren't that many people, I think, left from that era. But, the, you know, the big flu, I believe, what, 1918 or, or something, you know, in that era where many people, you know, uh, passed away from the flu. So I think those types of events you know, will stick in the mind. I think you have brought up earlier about, you know, 9-11 and how airports and flying and travel changed. That, you know, I can remember, you know, before that you could, you know, there was no real security. You just walked up to the gate, kissed your relatives goodbye, and they got on their plane, and you don't do that anymore. You have to do that before security versus, you know, after. And so, yeah, there, there's, I think this is going to stick with them, you know, for, for a while. Our job is to just try to ease some of that stress and anxiety, you know, for the students um, as we move forward. You have about $150 million with which to do that. Um, what is your plan to, uh, maybe not yet a plan to spend, but a yet uh, a plan to formulate a plan of how to spend $150 million over what, about the next three years. Um, right. you know, what, what, tell me about, you know, what your ideas are. Obviously, your tenure here is coming to a close, but your team is already working on this. So, you know, what does that look like? Um, and, you know, does it present challenges too? Because this money is not money that's going to stick around. Exactly. It does present challenges. You know, every time there's a flood of money, Usually from the federal government, it causes problems because everyone wants something and then the money goes away and you face this big cliff. So, you know, I think right now our plan is, again, we're focusing on what the summer looks like and we have that pretty much, you know, that framework wrapped up and we'll start moving into that. But then after afterwards, we're going to really try to align our program and plan to the advanced APS, you know, three and three plan you know, focusing some of that, of course, on academics and then um, some of that on, you know, some of the social, emotional and other needs that uh, our students have. There will be some that will address uh, safety just in terms of making sure that, you know, we're looking at our buildings for the most part, our CLCs, you know, meet those requirements for safety. Um, and, you know, and it'll be up to Christine Fowler Mack and the team to work collaboratively on that because that isn't something where, you know, you can say, oh, in 30 days we'll have a plan. It's going to take, you know, a little bit longer to formulate that. Um, and there will, and there's all, we already have tons of correspondence coming in, you know, which always happens when we get money from vendors who say, oh, our product is the best, this product can do this, or this product can do that. We'll have to go through all that. And then, of course, work with Ryan Pendleton, our CFO, to make sure we're tracking the expenditures appropriately, making sure we're following all of the litany of rules and regulations on how we spend the money. And then, looking further down the road, how do we avoid you know, this cliff that could happen when the money goes away? And that has really been, you know, my issue with staff is saying, look, you know, we have this one time opportunity to probably prototype some things that we should be doing. But we're going to have to also look at how do we change the organization so we don't face that cliff 
in three years when the money goes away? How do we embed some things in our operation, change our operation so that the things that are really important to us and our kids are going to be able to continue? Yeah, are you sad that you're retiring just ahead of this windfall of money that you could be spending? Uh, no. You know, uh, and I know people might say, well, you know, more money brings more problems uh, many times. I'm not saying it isn't a good thing to be able to do some things with it to help our kids and our families. But um, it, it there it's an administrative nightmare to go through and, you know, just spending it down, making sure. And then there's the audit pieces at the end, making sure you spent it correctly. So we're actually building up the infrastructure to just handle, you know, that hundred. or whatever million dollars. I mean, that's a lot of money flowing through this district in a very short period of time. David, you, you mentioned your successor. I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's interesting. Your, your job is is right to go. Everyone gets a diploma, right? Everyone gets the same diploma, but you know, each of the schools are, are, are so unique, right? In Akron. I mean, they all have their own different demographics, you know, different students, different staff. I mean, but you try to keep a unified education, right? So everyone kind of gets the same. What, what advice would you have for your successor? Um, I think the first thing is get a good lay of the land and understand, you know, it's like Ron Heifetz in that book, uh, Leadership on the Line, where he talks about, you know, go up in the balcony and look down and see all the interactions that are happening. I think that's important. You know, I know Christine has her ideas about what a district should look like, but I also think she's very respectful of the history of this place and also looking at what has occurred, what are some of the current initiatives we're doing, and some of that will change. And and I think rightly so. Every organization needs, you know, a fresh pair of eyes. And I'm actually, you know, looking forward to being on the outside and watching, you know, what happens here. I think there is a good foundation in many areas and there are some areas, you know, that will need to um, improve and, and you know, and I think she's the right person to get that accomplished. Well, David and Jennifer, I'd like to thank you. We could go on for hours, I'm sure, and uh, <laughs> I'm sure we could. Um, so, thank you for joining us today. Okay, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. We'd like to thank our producer, BJ Lisko, who works behind the scenes to make all this possible. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday, wherever you download your favorite podcasts, and also available on BeaconJournal.com and all our various apps. We urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, thank you. Until next week, now you know Akron.